Please turn with me now in the Word of God to John 20. Verses 2 through 8 are the sermon text this morning, and I'm not going to read all of that a second time. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulchre, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulchre. Then she runneth, and cometh to Simon Peter, and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth, and that other disciple, and came to the sepulchre. So they ran, both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter, and came first to the sepulchre. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulchre, and seeth the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple which came first to the sepulchre, and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher, and seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing, and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou, whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord that he had spoken these things unto her. 
in Acts 1, Acts 1 verse 3, Christ's appearances after his resurrection from the dead are referred to as infallible proofs of his resurrection, undeniable proofs that he had risen again from the dead. And not only his appearances, but many other things besides are such proofs of his resurrection. The empty tomb, the words of the angels to Mary and to the women, and the grave clothes which Peter and John saw in the tomb and of which we read here in John 20. Those things, too, are proofs, undeniable proofs of the resurrection of our Lord from the dead. But that raises the question, why is it then if there's such infallible proof of the resurrection of Christ, why is it that then and now so many do not believe in the resurrection? The guards who were at the tomb saw the angel come. His countenance, the word of God says, was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, those guards fell on their faces and became like dead men. And yet, they didn't believe. They went back to the city and took the bribe that was offered to them by the leaders of the Jews and never thought again of what they had witnessed. Nor did the leaders of the Jews believe who received the report of those guards, the report of an angel of God coming and rolling the stone away from the tomb. But they were the ones who bribed the guards to say that the disciples had come at night and stolen the body of Jesus. Why is that? You know, why in spite of infallible proof of the resurrection, many do not believe? The answer to that is really the main theme of this morning's sermon. In spite of those proofs, one 
must have in him the resurrection life of Christ himself before he or she, whoever it is, can believe that Christ arose from the dead. To put it another way, the resurrection of Christ must have also happened to you, to me, to anyone before it's possible to believe in his resurrection in spite of those infallible proofs. And so I taken as my theme this morning, believing in the resurrection. And we're going to talk first of all about what we believe, then about why we believe, and finally about how we believe. But I say we because the story that's told in John 20 is not just about Peter and John. But I think you know that. It's about us as well. We read in verse 8, he saw, that's a reference to John, he saw and believed. But believed as an example of Faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ for us. It was very early on that first Lord's Day morning when Mary and at least two other women, Mark names three women, came to the tomb to redo the job that Joseph and Nicodemus had done of preparing the body of Jesus for burial. They apparently did not think, they had watched, but did not think that Nicodemus and Joseph had done an adequate job, probably because they were in a hurry with the Sabbath approaching. But when they came within sight of the tomb, they wondered along the way how they were going to get into the tomb. When they came within sight of the tomb, then they saw that the stone had been rolled away. And while the other women went on to the tomb, Mary, in a panic, ran back to the city to tell the disciples that the body of Jesus had been stolen. She found Peter and John, and they were the ones that she told. They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. So Peter and John, troubled by Mary's news, ran for the sepulcher themselves. 
And the Bible tells us here in John 20 that John, who was almost certainly much younger than Peter, outran him and came first to the sepulcher. But he didn't go in right away. He only stooped down the entrances to those cave tombs were often rather low. He stooped down and looked in and saw the linen clothes in which Jesus had Jesus' body had been wrapped lying there in the tomb. Peter, that's very typical of him, of course, when he finally arrived, having been outrun by John, when he came to the tomb, he immediately went in. And the Bible tells us that he too saw those linen clothes, took notice of them. And then when John followed him into the tomb and saw those linen clothes once again, he not only saw the word of God says, but believed. Now those linen clothes, maybe the word clothes leaves a wrong impression with us. Those linen Clothes were strips of linen soaked in spices that were wrapped around the body, the head wrapped separately from the rest of the body. That was the way the Jews buried their dead. It was those linen clothes, however, that were to Peter and John the most noticeable thing about the tomb, not even the fact that the body of Jesus wasn't there, but those linen clothes, the napkin, the cloth that was about his head, the word of God says, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together or folded up in a place by itself. What's so striking, though, about the passage is the fact that doesn't come across in English. You'd have to check that in a good Bible concordance for yourself. The fact that the Word of God uses three different words to describe Peter and John seeing, looking at, those linen clothes. You could read the passage something like this, beginning with verse 4. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher, and he, stooping down and looking in, noticed the linen clothes lying. Yet went he not in. They immediately caught his attention. And then reading on, then cometh Simon Peter following him and went into the sepulcher and seeth 
the linen clothes lie and the napkin which was about his head. But that word seeth means that he not only noticed them, but stood there studying them. There was something unusual, something strange about those linen clothes that Peter, even though he didn't understand as John did, nevertheless took note of. And then, reading on once again, then went in also that other disciple which came first to the sepulcher, and he understood. That's the word that's used there. We use the word see that way. I see, I see, I understand. Well, that's the way the word describes John's coming into the tomb and looking more carefully at those linen clothes. He understood and believed. What did he understand, do you think? Well, for one thing, he understood the scriptures that are referred to in verse 9. Suddenly, though he had never understood that before, those different passages of the Old Testament that speak of the resurrection of Christ and of the resurrection of the dead with him, made sense to John. Passage like Psalm 16, verse 10. Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thy Holy One to see corruption. He understood those passages. Understood that the writer of that psalm was speaking of Christ. Really, that it was Christ himself speaking there. Understood what verse 9 says, that Christ had to rise again from the dead. He must, the word of God says, saw for the first time that Jesus not only had to die as a sacrifice for the sins of his people, but had to rise again, as Paul puts it in Romans 4, verse 25, for their justification. Saw that great truth that the resurrection is the proof that Jesus' work of making atonement for the sins of his people was finished and done. Talked about that a little bit Friday night. 
that none of Jesus' bones were broken was proof that his work was finished. But the resurrection is especially important because the resurrection is a work of God himself. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. But God had to say that too, as judge, as the one who alone could accept the sacrifice of Jesus as an atonement for sin. And he said, God said, as judge in the resurrection, Yes, it is finished. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He has done all that I required of him. And now as a reward of his finished work, I raise him from the dead. John saw that. That's what the word of God means in verse 20. He, he understood and believed. And I say that because, and here's where all of this becomes the word of God for us. I say that because believing in the resurrection, as John did, as we do, is never, never, never just believing in the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. I suppose, although I don't, I've never met anyone like that, I suppose it's possible to believe that there was a man named Jesus who lived over 2,000 years ago, who was crucified, and who rose again from the dead. But that's a long way you have to believe that too. You have to believe the fact of the resurrection. Paul makes quite a point of that in 1 Corinthians 15 when he says, if Christ be not raised, then is your faith vain, and ye are yet in your sins. And that goes back to what we were just talking about. If Christ isn't raised, we have no Word from God himself that his work was finished and atonement made for our sins. The cross is nothing without the resurrection. But you must not only believe in the fact of the resurrection. Believing the resurrection means that you understand as John did, something of that truth 
preached by the Apostle Paul in Romans 4, verse 25, that he was raised again for our justification. You not only understand the fact of the resurrection, but you understand something of its importance and its significance. You understand why the apostles, when they went out preaching the gospel to the Jews and to the Gentiles, preached especially the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Without the resurrection, the cross is nothing. Because there's no proof then that that sacrifice our Savior offered was acceptable to the judge before whom you and I must someday stand. You see that? When you say this evening, in reciting the Apostles' Creed, I believe in Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary and so on, risen again the third day, then you must be saying in your heart, I believe that he was raised again for our justification. Actually, you must be saying, I believe he was raised for my justification. His resurrection is for me the proof that my sins were paid for on the cross, that the sacrifice that he made for my sins was accepted in heaven and stands forevermore as an atonement for my sins. Not only for others. That's how the Heidelberg Catechism puts it in Lord's Day 7. But for me, also, atonement was made. And therefore, my faith in the resurrection of Christ is faith that assures me that his death paid for all my evil doing. That's what we believe. Now, in the story as it's told in John 20, all the emphasis is on those linen clothes, those grave clothes. First thing John noticed when he came to the tomb and looked in, Peter, who apparently didn't understand as John did, didn't yet believe that Jesus was risen from the dead, when he came into the tomb, stood there and, and wondered 
about those linen clothes. And it was those linen clothes, the word of God says, that John gave John the understanding he needed of what had happened and why the body of Jesus wasn't there. Even showed him some amazing truths about the resurrection that Jesus hadn't come back to this life. That was Mary's problem, you know. That's why Jesus said, don't touch me. She thought he was back to live here on earth once again, to walk the roads of Judea and Galilee with his disciples and others. Jesus said, no, 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 Mary. I go to my Father and to your Father and to my God and your God. And John saw that already in the tomb. And he saw that. That's what was so unique about those linen clothes because the clothes themselves testified to the fact that through the resurrection, Jesus' body, that body in which he had been born, in which he suffered and died, had been changed, as ours will be when the resurrection comes. He didn't need, like Lazarus, to be unwrapped from those grave clothes. But just as with the tomb itself, risen and glorified, he went through those grave clothes and through the tomb. On his way, it would be 40 more days, but on his way to the right hand of his heavenly Father. And even the napkin. That's what the Bible calls it, that cloth that wrapped his head, lying in a place by itself, testified to the fact that his body had not been removed in haste by the disciples or by his enemies, but that he himself had taken that cloth and laid it aside neatly folded as a testimony to the fact that he was risen indeed, as the angel said. But, and here's the main point of this morning's sermon. This goes back to to what I said at the beginning about infallible proof that's still not believed by many. You must understand that the reason why John believed, the reason why John believed and Peter didn't. 
Not yet, anyway. He would. He would by the end of the day, in fact. When Jesus, just as he had gone through those grave clothes and through the tomb, came through the locked door of the upper room where the disciples were staying to greet them himself. But those those linen clothes are not the reason why John believed, or Peter later, or any of the other proofs of his resurrection. But the fact that the resurrection life of Christ, Peter had it too, But the resurrection life of Christ in John's heart was working and growing and showing itself when he saw those linen clothes and believed. You understand what I'm saying? That's probably why the Word of God why God made sure that Peter was there too. Those proofs are not what give us faith. They help our faith just something like the bread and wine of the Lord's Supper help our faith. They're signs. But they're not the reason why we believe. And that, of course, explains the unbelief of so many. This saying is commonly reported among the Jews unto this day. His body was stolen by his disciples. In spite of the fact that there were eyewitnesses to speak of the grave clothes, the empty tomb, the angels, all the appearances of Christ. This saying is what the Jews still believe today and many others besides them. That's just to say that while those things are important to us as believers, what a wonderful testimony you have in those grave clothes lying as they had been wrapped about the body of Jesus, and the cloth from his head lying neatly folded by itself. Wonderful testimony to the power, to the glory of Christ's resurrection. But they are not the reason for John's faith or for yours, if, and I trust you do believe, if you believe in the resurrection of Christ, then you believe because his resurrection life is in your hearts. And I tell you, beloved, if you have his resurrection life in your heart, 
then you know that life knows that he was risen indeed and can never be persuaded otherwise. That life knows where it came from. That resurrection life of Jesus Christ that's in the hearts of God's people knows where it came from, that it came from him. Rose again the third day, ascended to the right hand of his heavenly Father, that he might by his Spirit give that life to his own. That's why the only reason ever why anyone believes in the resurrection of Christ. And that's one of the ways, too, in which that life shows itself. Galatians 2.20 Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see? No other way. But that life shows itself too in the conduct of a believer. Not yet perfectly, but you can see in the life of a believer that he has the life of Christ in him. And that that life, if you will, is reaching toward its source in Christ himself in heaven. That's why it's so often the case with an older person. Maybe you can think of Jenny who died recently. That's why with an older person, that life comes to the point where it can't wait anymore to be back with its source. We have that life. You older children probably know that word from your catechism classes. We have that life through regeneration. When we're born again of water and the Spirit, born from above, born to be children of God, no longer children of Adam, but adopted into the family of God. But regeneration is part of the point this morning. Regeneration is the Spirit's taking that resurrection life of Christ and planting it in us so that we're able to say 
I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. That's really what, what John 20 and the story of Peter and John at the tomb is about. And as I said, that's probably why Peter had to be part of this too. He had that life, and he would believe because that life was in him. But he was, like so many of us, slow of heart to believe the things that had been taught from the beginning in the Word of God. But that's also the reason why the guards who had seen the angel went back and allowed themselves to be bribed into a lie. And why the Jews, <coughs> the Jews for the most part, still do not believe the risen himself, by his spirit, must live in your heart. Else you will not believe. And the other side of that is, if you do believe, then what a thing to be thankful for. Not just the fact of the resurrection, that we serve a risen Lord, but the fact that by a miracle of grace and through his spirit, our risen Lord has given us new life, his own resurrection life, a life that will someday reach its source in heaven. So when you read the story of Peter and John here in John 20, then you have to see those grave clothes through their eyes. But you don't have to have been to the tomb as they were. Maybe you think that. We sometimes do sometimes. If I could have been there, if I could have heard the angels as the women did, he's not here, but he's risen, as he said, then my faith would be ever so much stronger. Not necessary. Nice. Good that we have their testimony in the Word of God. But you have something even better than what Peter and John had as eyewitnesses of the resurrection. You have the resurrection itself in your heart. And could say then what Job said in all, all 
his troubles. I know. I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand in the latter day upon the earth. And the worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. For mine eyes shall see, and not another. Then, too, and that's the most important thing, believing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you will understand, as John did, when he believed, you will understand that the resurrection is for evermore God's word and God's proof that atonement was made for your sins that he was risen again as Paul puts it in Romans 4 verse 25 for your justice And then you'll understand, too, what he says in 1 Corinthians 15. Christ be not raised. If there ever could have been a cross without a resurrection, Christ be not raised. Your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. But thanks be to God. Thanks indeed. Isn't that true? True this morning? True for you? Thanks be to God who's given us the victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. And with that resurrection life in our hearts, the hope that when these bodies return to the dust, we will be with Christ the source of our life forever. God grant it. Amen. Father, we thank thee for the privilege of remembering, celebrating the resurrection of our Savior. We thank thee especially that we are alive in him and shall see his face someday when he comes again. Forgive the sins we have committed in speaking of these things and of hearing once again about them. Pardon all our sins and assure us in the resurrection of Christ that they are pardoned. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. One eleven. That's the last Psalter number. <laughs>